you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller. We're going to be taking care of business. We're going to look at business ideas. We're going to look at the kind of angst that some of you have about the current work that you're doing. This is where we take 48 minutes each week to examine the value of our work. Now, you know, we know that work is not just an exchange of time for a paycheck. If that's all it is, you're going to burn out. But instead, work's the best opportunity we have to live out our calling and to create the legacy we want to leave behind. I've been kind of obsessed with that word recently, legacy. Just, you know, I heard somebody this week talking about listening to or watching a video clip that Zig Ziglar did. I thought, well, you know, isn't that cool? Now, Zig's been dead for at least a year, maybe a nut, maybe two. I don't know, time passes quickly, but, you know, to have people still drawing on his content and being inspired by his writings, his videos, his speaking and all of that. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's a legacy. When our son Jared came to us a couple years ago and said, would we be offended if he changed his last name? I mean, I, I laughed. I, I, he remembers it better than I, but I, one of the things that I said apparently was, Jared, I hope that my legacy goes far beyond just what my last name was. So Jared did go through a process. We helped him get involved, but he did a lot of research and changed his last name from Miller, which is certainly a common generic oatmeal kind of name. Jared, our son's last name is Angaza, which is Swahili for instrument of light. He wanted his actual name to reflect the kind of intentionality he has in his life. And I thought that was cool. But that's part of his legacy. And geez, part of my legacy is having a son with a different last name. And I think that's interesting. Well, here's some of the things we're going to be talking about today. And our theme for today is the song in your life. Now, keep that phrase in your mind as we go through some of the questions today, because I'm going to tell you what creates the song in your life. But here's some of the questions we've got. Dan, can I move from being an employee to independent contractor at the same company? Dan, I'm desperately trying to make a career change to escape the banking industry. You know, it's interesting as I hear people, you know, trying to escape one industry and somebody else trying desperately to get into the same industry. It just indicates how different we are. Success is not a cookie cutter process. Not the same for all of us. It's a very different journey. So somebody wants to get out of the banking industry. Someone says, I am a 26 year old who works at a factory and I can't stand it anymore. Now that listener has some unique challenges. We'll talk about that. And somebody wants to know, can I have a real business with a life's beachy? theme well yeah you can well those and more i've got 23 pages of notes in my hand so i'm gonna have to pick and choose we're gonna move quickly through some things certainly not going to be able to get through all of that but some great stories that i want to share with you today but here's a quotation now this is a a well-known proverb but the quotation is without the rocks the stream would lose its song now think about that for a minute. I said our theme today was going to be the song in your life. Without the rocks, 
the stream would lose its song. So it's the rocks in a stream that give it all those lilting sounds, that make it sound interesting. It's the rocks. What do you think the rocks in your life are? We're going to hear about some of those when, when somebody loses a job. That's one of those rocks that the water in your life has to get around. If a business fails, wow, that's one of those rocks. If you have a health challenge, golly, yet another rock. Car breaks down when you least expect it and can afford it. That's one of those rocks. But you know what? Without the rocks, the stream will lose its song. So the song in our life is the reflection of those rocks in our lives that we've been able to navigate and get through anyway. You know, without that, life would not be very interesting. And we, we like stories that are interesting. Now, this comes from the Kuhlman family. I just got this as I was just opening up to do the podcast. Chris Kuhlman, great note from Templeton, California. Here's Chris's story. Over two years ago, I started listening to your podcast. Faithfully, each week I was left inspired, encouraged, and educated. When I started listening, I was home full-time with my kids in the country trying to figure out how to earn money, be available to, for my family, and find or create work that I love. While narrowing, trying to narrow down what I love, I started taking online classes to freshen up my skills in graphic design. Next, I started learning about beekeeping. Soon I was asked by a mutual friend while training for my first half marathon to help out in a local agricultural appraisal office. From here, this is what has happened in the last two years. While well, each week I would download, listen to your podcast to keep me going. While well, I didn't know how it would all work out, I just kept doing the things I loved, having faith, making goals, and the doors began to open. Here's some of the things that Chris has accomplished. I completed my first half marathon. This year I'm on track to earn my agricultural appraisal license. I started growing my bee farm. I created my first website, Bee and Bounty, using the skills from the classes I took online, launched my Kickstarter campaign, and reached 100% of the funding in 12 days, still going. Received my first road bike and started riding on the weekends. I just wanted to share my little successes because like everyone else, my life is busy. I have three kids. I work full time. My husband works in law enforcement, so after school activities and meals fall on my shoulders and I'm taking night classes for my appraiser license. But with this little phrase my friend shared, an inch of action is more powerful than a mile of intention. That's worth reading again. An inch of action is more powerful than a mile of intention. I've been able to work toward my goals one day, one small task at a time. Today I'm working toward earning a license, which will lead a flexible schedule. On a per project basis, I rarely feel like I'm going to work. I also get to be an entrepreneur and creative with my small business, Bee and Bounty, which gives me a creative outlet, an opportunity to spend time outdoors with a hobby I love and meeting lots of great people. Thank you, Dan, for your words of encouragement, resources, and podcast. You've changed my course, my families, for the better. I'm forever grateful and believe others around me can feel the very positive energy flowing in my work. Well, thanks, Chris. What a cool story about all those little things that you've done. You know, sometimes success is not, you know, starting the next Microsoft or the next IBM, but it's doing those things that just bring vitality and life to our lives like you've described here. I did go to your site. Love your beekeeping site. I mean, I'm one of those that I look for 
well, I happen to be spoiled. My next door neighbor is a beekeeper. And so he keeps me supplied with honey produced by bees that many of them uh, eat and find their nectar on my property. And so we have honey that comes from right here on our property, which is pretty cool. But I, I'm a big believer that it, it helps allergies and the things that keep us healthy to be part of that. I looked at your, uh, I looked at your Kickstarter campaign as well. Again, great job. I mean, we have a lot of people ask about Kickstarter campaigns, Indiegogo, how to raise funding. You've done it really well. You've got to offer rewards to people so they don't feel like they're just giving you money to do what you want to do, but rewards that include them and, and give them something you know enjoyable as well. Love your little helix, the little design that you use where you have the bees and the design in which they create the honey. You true, kind, love, still fun. Great stuff. Thanks for sharing. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to segue from that into uh, some other short success stories because we've got a teleseminar coming up. It's on January 28th at seven o'clock. It's a free teleseminar on my work, my life and entrepreneur startup teleseminar. I hear from so many people like Chris and many others, you know, how can I get started with a particular idea? Can I really make money with these little interest and hobbies that I have? Yeah, absolutely. You can, but we're going to have a teleseminar on January 28th. Um, the website for that is 48days.com slash teleseminar hyphen live. But I'll, I'll put that link in the radio show notes here so you can go right to that and click on that. But love to have you participate in that. And I'm just going to respond to lots of the questions that we get in that seminar that have to do with starting a business specifically. But here's a couple examples. I had a question from Matt in North Carolina who said, considering that my calling is going to involve a large pile of cash, how do I balance the principles that you teach about following your calling while keeping in mind the principles Dave Ramsey teaches, which include not taking on more debt? For example, I feel that part of my calling is to build an outdoor roller hockey facility, which will have leagues, community events, destination for after year round school programs. Obviously, I need to purchase a rink, among other things, to get started. Well, here's my response to Matt. No, 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 you do not need to purchase a rink to get started. That would be a horrible risk with a brand new business. What I do is you get an agreement with the school to use their parking lot on a Saturday afternoon. And you're going to have instant credibility and an audience because of being at the school and you can test your idea. I mean, my oldest son, Kevin, was a bicycle racer for many years. I was real involved in bicycle motocross when it was first getting really hot as a new sport. I was a regional director for bicycle motocross. Built a first over and under track up at the old Beach Bend Raceway in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Over and under, meaning at most bicycle tracks, you would start on an incline somewhere or on a little hill, and then the finish line would be way down somewhere else. Um, and so it made it pretty hard for spectators, moms and dads who wanted to see their kids start, they couldn't see the finish line. I built an over and under track where you came off a hill. We had a lot of bulldozers involved to make this work. Off a hill, down, swooped up over a rise, and then went around and then came back underneath that rise in a tunnel. So that the finish line was about 40 feet from the starting line. So it made it real easy for spectators, and we had bleachers set up to watch both the start and the finish. Anyway, I get off track. We never paid for 
some kind of a fancy arena. I mean, I just used things that people already had. In that case, the racetrack was not being used. It created a draw for them to get people back, coming back out to the park. So it was a win-win for everybody. And they provided all the construction materials and labor and everything to make that happen. But anyway, Kevin, my oldest son, was a bicycle racer for many years. And we organized and attended races all over the country that were set up in downtown business sections and business office parking lots, railroads. I mean, the most popular kind of race was a criterion that took place on the city streets, often right in the middle of a university. We'd get permission to block all the streets off, but no one would have dreamed of purchasing land for that kind of race. Now, frankly, I've never had enough money to start a business, but I just went ahead anyway with whatever resources I had. So I never, you know, had to uh, do what you're talking about here, Matt, you know, go deeply in debt for business. I just start with what I have, but here, here's a couple real life examples from my own past. Auto Appeal was a company that I started. We moved from California back to Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I thought, gee, what I want to do, we moved back because we wanted to live in this part of the country. I had no idea what we were going to do. So I looked at business ideas, thought about starting a diaper service. They didn't have one there. And we had been spoiled with our first child because we did live in a place where they had diaper service. And I thought, well, I could do that. Decided against that and always thank my lucky stars that I did not do that as I think back about it. But I started being a car guy, started a custom pinstriping and accessories business for the new car dealers. So I ordered the supplies where I had about 60 days to pay for them. I ordered about $300 worth of supplies for this business to do pinstriping on the new cars sitting on the lots. Now I knew that the supplies could not be more than um, 10% of any job. So that $300 in supplies turned into $3,000 and that happened really quickly. So I had a $2,700 net profit in that very first month. And I grew the business rapidly with the business profits from just funding the growth. Another idea I did, and I've got lots of them, but I'm just going to share a couple. Another idea I did was a telephone address book. I purchased a telephone address book at a bookstore for $12.96. I still have that receipt. Then I went to a church and offered to give them a thousand personalized copies of that real nice little vinyl covered telephone address book with their church logo on the front cover. In exchange, I asked them to give me the names of people with whom they did business. So hotels, restaurants, insurance, and real estate people. I then gave those businesses the opportunity to highlight their business on the inside front and back covers. Now that first project took me four days to complete, netted me, $4,600 after paying for the 1,000 free personalized copies that I gave to the church. I did that again and again and again. I could go into any town, talk to a couple churches. Everybody thought it was the neatest thing since peanut butter. And I would knock those projects out four or five days, make myself $45,000. And then, of course, you've all heard the story about self-publishing 48 Days to the Work You Love. And I didn't invest big bucks in doing that at all. I didn't have a fancy publishing deal when I first started. Instead, I bought a few three-ring binders at Office Depot, had the inside text copied, like 25 copies at a time, recorded a little cassette to stick in the pocket, just did that at a friend's house. I could do those one at a time. And then I sold those. I started selling those for $39 each, and I sold over 50,000 of those. My cost on each of those was about $7.50, but that's over $2 million in gross revenue, a startup cost of less than $100. Then, of course, publishers came knocking, 
And it went on to become a New York Times bestseller because I started with what I had. Now, there's a lot of success stories like that, that I hear from people, know about things I did myself. I contracted one year for Christmas trees in June and didn't pay until I sold them in December. I had a a big lot in California where I was uh, selling cars, but I stored cars and RVs on the backside of the lot because I had so much property. Couldn't fill it up with cars to sell. That would be way too many. But I rented it out, marked it off in spaces just on the graveled parking lot and then charge people to just park to store their RVs and cars there. Well, then I noticed, you know, some of the boats and RVs were never taken out and I'd offer to help the person sell it and take a generous commission for helping them sell the things that they had that they no longer used. I worked with a gentleman one time who bought an orange grove using the existing oranges on the trees as his only down payment. Didn't have any money. But he said, well, the the trees are full of oranges. When we harvest them, I can then pay my down payment. And they they went ahead and financed that. Uh, Another guy purchased an old estate house contracting to sell the antique furniture inside it as his down payment. Several years ago, I bought a house on a Saturday morning. I gave the owner 3,000 bucks standing on the front yard. I'd never been in the house had renters in there that needed to get out, but uh, 3000 bucks, I took over the loan, did some cosmetic improvements, put it back on the market, sold it in 48 hours for a $21,000 profit. See, a lot of the best ideas today are not capital intensive. They don't require buildings, employees, inventory. I mean, fear of failure and not starting is a much bigger obstacle than the lack of money. If you have a great idea, money's easy to get. But being creative in how you structure the startup time is one of the really key elements. Anyway, you know, my advice to to Matt, yeah, go ahead and start with your outdoor roller hockey business. Just don't try to convince yourself that your calling requires you to violate your personal principles. I mean, that's a compromise you never want to make. So again, just a reminder, and I'll put a, a note in the, the show notes today about the teleseminar on January 28th at 7 o'clock, free teleseminar, where I'm going to talk more about how you take an idea like this and turn it into a real business. Well, Aaron sent me a note, uh, an article in the Huffington Post, and it's a really hilarious article where the author talks about uh, getting fired and how it really released in him the opportunity to do better things. You know, and that's one of the things we have to keep in mind. I mean, if you talk to people at all, you're going to find that you run into people who got fired and then 18 months later, they say, wow, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. It shook me out of complacency. It got me out of a job that I didn't really like anyway and gave me an opportunity to clean the slate, take a fresh look at what I really wanted to do and do something with that. So we got lots of, lots of ideas, lots of examples of those stones in somebody's life starting to create the song that they ultimately have. Now this comes from Ashley in Salt Lake City. Um, Ashley says, Dan and Joanna, hope all is well with you. The past year has been wonderful since we attended the Wisdom Meets Passion cruise. Ashley and her twin sister were on the cruise with their husbands. We had a delightful time together. They've been here at the sanctuary since then. She says, what a great, what what a pleasure it was to get to know you and to make some great friends as well, as well as learn the skills necessary to pursue meaningful work. I had a quick question, which I was hoping you could address. Currently, I'm an employee at my organization and I'm looking to position myself as a contractor. 
wanted to get your opinion on how to approach my boss and the benefits of moving me into a results-based compensation instead of an hourly or salary wage. In your opinion, can it be a trick to move within the same organization from an hourly pay to contract work? Well, it really isn't. It's not that dicey. It's a very reasonable proposal. Now, when you think about what this means for an employee, you're going to come to them and say, you don't have to withhold income taxes. You don't have to withhold and pay social security on me, Medicare taxes. You don't have to pay unemployment taxes. You don't have to probably, not, not, you probably are going to do work remotely. Usually is the case if you're doing independent contractor work where if it's data base input or doing research or graphic design or whatever, it usually means that you can do it on your own and not be dependent on them to provide the real estate. I mean, companies like the Bell Company, AT&T, Best Buy have discovered they save millions of dollars in real estate costs, not having to provide offices and desks and computers and water coolers for people by letting them work remotely. So there's tremendous advantage for company. It should not be seen as offensive at all for you to suggest such a thing to your employer. Now, in being legitimately classified as an independent contractor, it means your work day really does have to change. I mean, the IRS knows that more and more people are moving to this. I mean, they look at this through a a looking glass. I mean, they really evaluate, is this person still an employer or not? If, if the company says, well, fine, you can be an independent contractor. We want you here Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from eight to five. You're going to sit in this cubicle and do this work. Then you're probably just an employee, even though it looks different. An independent contractor by definition means that you have the ability to have other clients that you don't have just one client. You may have several clients So identify what it would mean to be an independent contractor. And if the work that you do lends itself to that, absolutely make a proposal to them. Say that, you know, this is the kind of work that I do. So when I'm designing this new brochure, instead of paying me $20 an hour, how about if we agree in advance that it's it's an $800 project? I do it, bring it back, get your approval, and we move on to the next project. So yeah, moving to project-based compensation can increase your compensation. You may be able to create the same amount of income. Now, here's something that may seem a little difficult to get our head around. There have been companies like South Central Bell here in Nashville where they laid off a whole bunch of employees. A lot of those employees went right back and said, oh, I can continue doing the work as an independent contractor. And a lot of those people effectively reduced their work time by half or more. So now they're working 20 hours a week and they still made as much or more money. Now, when you think through all the things that I just described that it's going to save the company, it still is a good deal for the company. Even if they're paying you the same amount of net income without having all the excess liability that comes with having you as an employee. So yeah, it can be very advantageous structure in advance what your proposal would look like. So you go in with a clear proposal. You may be surprised how readily received it is, even at your current company. Great question. 
Claire says, Dan, I'm desperately trying to make a career change to escape the banking industry. I approached a nonprofit company I'm interested in, although they had no job openings posted. I simply stopped by, introduced myself to the receptionist, asked about volunteer information and the possibility of meeting the president. I had what I thought was a fantastic conversation with the volunteer coordinator and the president. I followed up with an email with my resume attached, thanking them for the time taking the time to talk to me. I heard back from the volunteer coordinator, but not the president. I even followed up with a voicemail. Still nothing. Is this common these days? Should I continue to be persistent or look elsewhere? I'm still considering volunteering to possibly get my foot in the door and make other connections. Thanks for your advice. Well, Claire, a couple things. Yeah. When you identify an organization that you want to work with, there are too many unknowns to narrow your search to one company, no matter what that is, no matter how great it is. You need to have 20 others on your list as well. So then we have a realistic opportunity to get multiple job offers. Focusing on one just is not a good plan ever. Doesn't matter what it is. I mean, I encounter this a lot with people want to work with the Dave Ramsey organization. Well, that's fine. But keep in mind for every position open, they usually get about 300 applications. I mean, the odds are more against you than getting into Harvard to get a job there. Don't just narrow down and have that be your only the only place that you would be willing to work. No, have a list, have a list. I recommend in 48 days to the work you love 30 to 40 organizations that you could be involved with. So that's the first thing. Don't narrow down to just one. We can't explain why the president doesn't call you back. Is it common? Yeah, it's real common that you can have a good conversation with somebody and never calls you back. If they don't have any openings, you know, why would he take the time to do that? But the other thing is, Wanting to go from the banking industry to working for a nonprofit. I mean, wanting to get paid by a nonprofit is probably the toughest job search on the planet. I mean, now just think about it. They give you a paycheck and then they have to go ask somebody outside the organization to give them money to cover the paycheck they just gave you. That's a really convoluted system. I mean, unless you're actively involved in raising the money, you're dead weight. In the organization. I mean, that's a really tough job search model to want to go work for a nonprofit. I mean, I hear from people all the time. They want to do something worthy and godly and humanitarian. Yeah, that's, that's cool. But it's a really tough business model to expect to get a paycheck in that environment. If you want to volunteer, yeah, that's fine. Do that. But to think you're going to get a regular paycheck. I mean, nonprofits are really struggling. I mean, as we've seen, there's been so many horror stories about nonprofits and people suspicious of how they use the money that's donated and business people, people who have funds to contribute are seeing the explosion of social entrepreneurship, ethical capitalism. They're seeing businesses that are doing good around the world, not as a nonprofit, but as a for-profit company. So it's become increasingly difficult for nonprofits to go around, hold their hand out and have people give them money. So it's just a tough model. Yeah. You're going to be frustrated if you narrow your search that quickly down to even a couple nonprofits, you're going to be convinced nobody's hiring. The economy's bad. No, it's just a really poor search model. Zig says, Dan, thanks for reading my question. I'm hoping you can point me in the right direction. I'm 26 years old. I work in a factory and I can't stand it anymore. 
would love to be more than this, but there's one big issue that holds me back every time I try moving into a different direction, and that is that my vision is poor. I usually have to sit closer to the screen to use it, and that makes me feel awkward. I feel like everyone is sitting there judging me when that happens. So I was hoping you can give me some advice on what I can do for a career with poor vision and still make a killing. Thanks for everything you do in the 48 Days community. Well, Zig, I mean, everybody, I mean, and I'm, I don't diminish the complexity and the challenge that you have having poor vision, but trust me, everybody has limitations. Everybody has things that they think hold them back. Now, in today's environment, especially people who are blind or visually impaired, excuse me, can perform almost any job you can imagine. I mean, it can be a lawyer, an artist, an accountant, secretary, customer service rep. I mean, we could go on and on. Factory worker, financial analyst, teacher, medical transcriptionist, counselor, computer programmer, cook, salesperson. I mean, you're really not that limited if you have even pretty severe poor vision. There are too many tools that can be used to help you out in that. And, And so, you know, companies are, are, are not going to be turned off by that if they have a position that can use other clear skills that you have. I mean, that's the thing you really have to be clear on. Like always, what are your areas of con- competence? What value do you bring to a company? I spoke with somebody just this last week who has a background in church work, but now he sees the crunch there in nonprofits, like I just described, and he wants to go work for a business. And I said, well, what are your areas of competence? What value would you bring to a company? He got very flustered. I mean, he actually got red in the face. He couldn't describe anything. It was just that he was a nice guy and he expected somebody to give him a job. Now he's a very gentlemanly guy, you know, good looking, you know, I mean, really personable guy, but and without a clear sense of the value he brings, he really has no. And I said, the more you force organizations to figure out what it is that you do well, the lower you will push yourself on the financial scale. I mean, they can give you a $10 an hour job because anybody can do that. But if you expect to make fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, you have to identify real clearly your unique value. So the same thing is true here. And companies may want to know, you know, is your vision deteriorating or is it pretty much the way it's been for the last 10 years? Can you benefit from magnification? Um, Do you have to use a cane or some kind of navigational aid? Are there certain colors that work better for you? So you help a company understand how to deal with your limitations, but put the emphasis on what it is that you do well, you can move from what you're doing. You're not trapped there any more than anybody else. You can move from that, clarify, but you lead the way. Don't expect pity or sympathy, you know, feeling sorry for you to be the reason somebody gives you a job. That puts you in a really weak position. You can work in a little assembly line, you know, with people with other disabilities. But if you're clear on what it is you do well, hold your head high, go out and promote yourself. The opportunities are wide open for you. Lauren from Pensacola says, Dan, I'm starting my own e-commerce website. I'm at a loss with how to start writing my terms and conditions in the privacy policy. I quickly get lost when I start researching the internet for a list of internet laws. Can you recommend any literature to help me along 
or do you recommend hiring legal counsel on this one? I want to cover all my bases to ensure my financial legal safety, but I'm trying to start this site at the lowest cost possible. Is it possible to write these policies without legal counsel? Thanks for all you do. You've already provided me with priceless advice and hope for and hope for a more fulfilling career. From Lauren. Well, I don't know what it is you're selling. You give no indication about what your e-commerce site is going to be. Now, if you're going to provide eye drops for Zig because he's hard of vision, yeah, you better have your bases covered in terms of legality. But I mean, aside from that, the kind of things that most of us do, if we're providing information or if we're selling our the honey from our bees, I mean, the things that I've talked about here, boy, this is a, a small issue terms and conditions and the privacy policy. I mean, I've never addressed that. We have massive websites and do lots and lots of e-commerce. I've never had an attorney sit down and look at the things that we have on our website with me. We just do business. I suspect, again, I'm, I'm assuming because I don't really know what your business is, but I suspect you're putting too much emphasis. You're getting too wrapped up in the details of getting ready to start a business. Start a business as it grows and is profitable. Then you can address some of the more specific details. I tell people all the time, you know, my particular mode of operation is ready, fire, aim. I mean, I just pull the trigger and then we figure out what we need to do as we go along. That's the way I release products, but uh, don't get too wrapped up in legalities for a website. I mean, I don't even know where to direct you for terms and privacy policies on the, I have just never addressed it. Get in business and um, get some momentum in what you're doing, build a reputation. Then you can deal with those things as you go along. Well, just a quick reminder there, you're listening to Dan Miller on the 48 days online radio show. Listen to the questions that people send in, real-life questions. You can do the same. If you got a question, just go to the 48days.com site. Click on the podcast link. You'll see an opportunity there to submit your question. Or you can just shoot it in to askdan at 48days.com. Got a, a question. I got a epistle from Matt. And if I read it, it would take up the rest of the time that we have, I'm not going to do that. But anyway, Matt wrote, says he's been stuck with a certain problem for a long time. Describes a lot of uh, rocks in his own life, the stones that have made his life interesting, but um, some challenging things in there. He's had a business idea for a long time, has moved around, got involved with alcohol abuse and a lot of things that we don't need to share here. But in, in spurts in the all these this time he's been living in florida living on the beach you know started taking flying lessons playing guitar on the beach swimming on the beach every day eating great seafood riding jet skis in the afternoon just living life never had a time in his life where he felt so alive would give anything to relive that period right now for the rest of my life he says you know i was surrounded by friends and fun and i felt so independent free and alive now what he's asking through all of this question, the bottom line is he has a concept called life's beachy, beachy. Okay. Not peachy, beachy because of this focus and enjoyment of living on the beach. 
And what he's asking is, is it possible to have like a blog and a website? He's got all the domains around life's beachy. Is it possible to have some kind of a business around that theme? Or is this just some kind of a pipe dream? He says, I'm afraid of sounding self-helpy or not making sense or just sounding full of fluff. I also don't want to publish yet another inauthentic 10 ways to create the best life ever or the secret to. I just don't know how to come up with what to say and who to say it to. I want to build a brand, not just another overnight failure of a blog. I want to grab people's attention, but I don't know how to do this. All right, Matt. Yes, you can. You can take exactly what you described and build a viable, profitable business from doing that. Now, one thing you got to be careful about eliminating everything. When, when you say, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. I mean, you list a lot of things that have helped other people be pretty successful. If you eliminate everything, then you end up with nothing. So don't back yourself into a corner by saying you aren't going to do any of the things that other people have used to be successful. But let me give you an example here. This week we're, we're helping to promote a particular uh, book that just came out by Crystal Payne. Now, some of you probably recognize Crystal's name. She is the money saving mom. Now that's her website. She started that a few years ago, money saving mom. My point is, it's not something this is not rocket science. It's not something that's never been thought of before. I mean, mom's wanting to save money. I mean, gee, yeah, like that concept's been around since Eve. Money saving mom. Crystal's done a great job of connecting people, letting them know when there's a coupon at Target. And I've seen some of her emails going out. Sat next to her at a, a conference a few months back. And the first time I was really aware of what she's doing, then I come home and realize my daughter, Ashley is an avid fan of hers and she has an amazing following. Now she creates a whole lot of money with what she's doing just to help moms save money. She has a brand new book out and it's called say good or, or, or good. It says goodbye to survival mode. I screwed up the title. What is say goodbye to survival mode? Nine simple strategies to stress less, sleep more, and restore your passion for life. So there's one of those annoying lists that you just described that you want to do. Well, Crystal will probably make several million dollars on the book. I mean, I've already seen where it is on Amazon. It's rocking. Say goodbye to survival mode. So don't knock those things that seem like they may be pretty simple, and yet they really are the way that people get traction with an idea. So you want to live on the beach life's beachy. I mean, what a, what a great concept, but what if you did things to give people information about that? I mean, you could have little clips of Jimmy Buffett music or, um, geez, who else? Um, Kenny Chesney, golly, most of his music has kind of a Caribbean theme to it. I think that's his favorite place in the world. You could have music like that. that you, provide or play clips from and then you could have tips on living on the beach on a budget or ways to survive in the sun or golly you could have nutrition tips for life on the beach or ways to make money while living on the beach i mean one of andy andrews books starts off with the fact that he was living under a pier on a beach he would help the fishermen and do odd jobs during the day and he would sleep under the pier in a time when he was homeless and his story starts off on that. He created a story about meeting somebody who ultimately had a really big impact on changing his life. 
But yeah, there's so many tangents. You could make a list of a hundred things that you could do that would fit in perfectly with your theme of life's beachy and go from there. So create uh, now one of the things that we'll be connecting you to in the teleseminar on startup business is a business plan, but you can find that you can go to 48days.com, go to resources and under worksheets, there's a business plan. You can just open that up and go through it. Picture what this would look like. You've got to have a business plan, even for an idea like this. If you just kind of start off, you boggle it on hope things work out. No, it won't work. I mean, hope marketing doesn't lead people to great success. What you got to have is a plan. I mean, when Crystal started doing her money-saving mom, she had all kinds of, she had banners on there. She had affiliate links. She had a lot of different ways that created significant income for her as her audience grew, which is the case with all of us as you grow on, grow an audience. And how many people would like to be a beach bum? I mean, that's a really appealing topic. So yeah, move ahead with it. Create a plan. I want to hear from you in six months about your astounding success not just more reasons why this won't work or self-doubt about this being a great idea. Move ahead with it. Life's beachy. Let us see what you can do. Well, let me grab a couple more here. Brad says, this is from Canada. Dan, thanks. Thank you. And want to let you know that you've been a blessing to me since day one that I started listening to you. I'm very passionate about motivating people to take action in improving their lives as I have gone from functional alcoholic to going back to school to running races. I want to get into the business of organizing seminars and various topics and also coach people personally down the line. Would you please give me some advice on how to go about it? Would coaching with excellence help me? Also, please recommend some books on this topic or something that can help me. God bless you and all your listeners. Well, Brad, thanks for your question. I commend you on, um, getting through the, the, the stones in your own life and back on track so that you're running races in shape physically and now wanting to help other people. Yeah, Coaching with Excellence, I mean, we just had one of those conferences here, one of the live events, had an amazing group. This, this particular time, I don't really know why, but we had a lot of medical people. I mean, doctors, chiropractors, nurses, other health and health people had some people with some amazing health stories. One guy had a kidney transplant. His wife donated a kidney, which is kind of a, a cute story. He says, anytime they have any problem, she says, well, you can have the house, but I want my kidney back. <laughs> well, but, but we had just a, an unusual group in terms of the composition, people ready to go deep who already were in the game some of them already practicing in their coaching and consulting businesses. So we were able to go deep. So yeah, coaching with excellence. We've got one more of those yet this year. They'll be open to everybody. The one in the fall is open to people who are in the coach in our coaching mastery program in the 48 days coaching mastery program where we really are building out their businesses. But certainly that would help you shape your idea. But if you want to get in the business of organizing seminars and various topics, uh, how to coach people, yeah, the, the quickest thing to do is to start coaching people in your area of expertise. I mean, that you can do this afternoon. If you are clear on what your area of expertise is, don't be a generalist. Don't just tell people, well, I'm a coach, you know, anything that's bothering you, I can help you with it. I mean, that's, that's not realistic at all. You want to be known as the person that helps people in this particular area. 
So become known as if it's health and nutrition, be a health coach. If it's parenting or marriage or career, whatever it is, identify what it is that you're going to coach people on. Can you do seminars? Yeah. Now, seminars are, are tough to do. I mean, everybody used to come to these big success seminars, as an example. Remember those big things in stadiums and arenas where you'd have Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and Tommy Hopkins and all these people would show up and speak on a given day? Well, it's hard to get people out of their offices and into a physical location like that. I mean, we do small events. Now, we're fortunate in having our own place, so we aren't at risk with some big hotel that we've rented out, and that kind of thing. And we also keep our events really small. We limit them to 48 people. That works well here. It provides an intimacy and connection, and that just has worked really well for us. So that's one way to do it. I mean, and I encourage that when you go from coaching into doing a seminar. Don't expect to have an event where you have 200 people. Structure an event where you, where you have 20 people. I mean, start with that and, and, and you don't have to get bigger. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, even, even, you know, my team here says, gee, Dan, if we went to a larger facility, we could have much bigger events. Yeah, we can, but then that changes the kind of event that we have. If you're in a group of 48, you have a chance to introduce yourself, ask personal questions, share with other people, connect with them, you know, eat lunch with me on given times. If we have 300 people in an event, it changes it dramatically. I go to a lot of events and I've been to events this last year where there were, you know, 800 people, thousand, but I still most enjoy the events that are small. So make sure the event reflects your strengths, not just a model that you're trying to duplicate because that's the way that Tony Robbins does it. So can you do this? Yes. If you're clear on an area of expertise, you can position yourself as a coach, start to grow in that area, take seminars and workshops yourself. That's the way you learn how to do them. I went to hundreds of workshops and seminars before I ever held any of my own. So I went to the big success seminars and I went to Mark Victor Hansen seminars and Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar seminars and workshops. And in doing so, I observed and created a model that works now very well for us right here in our property where we have the events. Incidentally, the next one coming up is Innovate. You can't register for that yet. We have such a surge of people waiting for that, but it's going to open registration will open February 3rd at 10 o'clock in the morning. We're going to open it 48 people and that's it and close it. So it'll be open for a very short period of time. But if you want to come to innovate, you've heard me talk about it. That's where creative people come. We're going to unveil the new 48 days sculpted Eagle that we're going to have installed here on our property. Uh, Mike Hyatt will be speaking. Ken Davis will be speaking. Other people we've got on the lineup. There's going to be an artist creating a project on site during that period of time. So it's going to be an outrageous event, but registration opens on February 3rd at 10 o'clock. Now, some of the things that you can use, you ask, uh, Brad asked here for a list of some books that you can use. Yeah. The coaching starter kit is the best resource. It's like an encyclopedia and it has forms checklist, how to keep people on track, all that. It's not readily available like through a, I'll tell you what, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, the coaching starter kit, the people who come to coaching with excellence, they get a copy of that. It's a fairly expensive book. It's like $45, but we give a copy of that to everybody who comes to coaching with excellence. And it is the best resource for how to build a coaching business. Other books would be Million Dollar Coaching by Alan Weiss. 
Christian Coaching, Gary Collins. That's kind of the hallmark book in the Christian arena. You can look at that, Coaching by the Book. Ruth Ledesma, Become a Coaching Leader, Daniel Harkavay. Spiritual Direction, The Care of Souls by Gary Moon. Again, Coaching for Christian Leaders, Linda Miller. She's with Ken Blanchard's organization, a great resource there. So, remember our quotation for today. I'm going to start circling around here and wrapping up. But remember our, our quotation for the day? Without the rocks, the stream would lose its song. Hey, would love to connect with you personally this year. Make it a point to come to one of the events here at the sanctuary. We have an outrageous time. It's uh, instructive for everybody, inspiring for me to meet with people, hear the stories, and see people move ahead in their own path to success. So thanks for being part of this amazing community that we're part of here where we are in fact finding or creating work that is meaningful purposeful fulfilling inspiring educational and profitable